the Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine on your own terms. Today, we are on the path of personal development. Today, on the Physician's Road podcast, we speak with Dr. Buck Joffrey from the Wolf Formula podcast about his entrepreneurial journey from successful plastic surgeon to successful podcaster and real estate investor, and how his show helps busy professionals discover their own wealth formula. He is also inviting the Physicians Road audience to an amazing investing conference that he has coming up. You can find the details at www.thephysiciansroad.com forward slash wealth formula. Again, www.thephysiciansroad.com forward slash wealth formula. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Eric Tate, again, on the Physician's Road podcast. We're here today on the path of personal development with Dr. Buck Joffrey. Many of you may know him from the Wealth Formula podcast, where he podcasts about his wealth formula and how he became an independent physician um, who now has really moved over into the entrepreneurial space, but still has his hands in some some medical practice. And so who is Mir Buck Joffrey? Well, it, <laughs> thanks for having me, uh, Eric. Yeah, so Buck Joffrey is a uh, is a guy who um, was like a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the people that you're talking to, just like you, my friend. I mean, we were all good students, and we all we all, um, despite what uh, you know, the politicians say about us, we went to school and and had aspirations of changing the world and helping people and. And that was no different. Got good grades, and um, you know, ended up being able to get into medical school. Went to Northwestern for med school, um, and uh, started out initially in the neurosurgery world uh, in at Michigan, and uh, realized that uh, the hours were uh, not not to my liking. So I ended up moving over to University of California, San Francisco, where I, I completed a otolaryngology head neck surgery fellowship, followed by cosmetics. Um, um, uh, fellowship. So, so I was all over the place. Uh, finished training, like many of us surgeons in you know my or was like in my early thirties. It was like thirty two, thirty three. Um, I was uh, I kind of got inspired uh, on, on the entrepreneurial side of things because I accidentally picked up a, a Kiyos, Robert Kiyosaki book called The Cash Flow Quadrant and um, had sort of a aha moment realizing that really what I really wanted to be was an entrepreneur. I didn't really even know what an entrepreneur was. Um, so I, I, when I started my business, or my practice, I started it as a business, uh, ultimately did pretty well with that. And then <clears throat> got into the, got into, uh, you know, a couple other business ventures before you know it, it was making some money. And, uh, that's where the investing started and um you know uh, the rest is history and actually i actually want to explore that just a little bit so talk about your initial practice life when you first got out what you were doing what that looked like and what that taught you as you moved over into the entrepreneurial world 
Well, you know, um, I wanted, I, I was a really academic guy initially, Eric, and, and that's, you know, that's when you look at where I, I was, Michigan doing neurosurgery and I was uh, UC San Francisco and, you know, all these places were really academic. So I thought I would be, um, you know, probably a chairman somewhere or something like that. But um, what happened is I got burned out on academics. I got burned out on um, the, you know, residency really wasn't for me. Like residency was very painful for me in many ways because um, I didn't resonate with the hierarchical system. And um, I didn't, I didn't, at least in terms of Michigan wasn't so much like this, but it certainly UC San Francisco was very much a, um, uh, you know, uh, kiss up, uh, kick down kind of a, uh, approach from some of the senior residents. I just really didn't like it, right? And I didn't want to be part of that anymore, despite being prolific. And so, so what happened was I was already primed to be open to something else. And so when I read this book, the idea was, okay, well, I could be an entrepreneur. Now, the good thing for me was that I just, you know, I was doing a cosmetics fellowship. So I could go in a route where I could just, you know, not have third-party payer. I could, you know, I could, I could literally start doing something as a business where I could advertise and, you know, I didn't have to build a practice over 20 years, et cetera. So, you know, I, I just went in head first. I didn't have a lot of bills to pay. I just got married and uh, started this this practice and, and started spending a bunch of money on television and radio, internet, internet, all these things um, that you don't typically see doctors do necessarily, but I was doing it. And um, so it was uh, it was really successful early on and um, started making making good money doing it. And um and I guess that's I, I guess that's the that's how it happened. You know, it was it was initial shift realizing that you know really I want to be a, I like I like operating, and back at the time I still liked seeing patients and all that. And, and how could I do it in a, in a way that really scratched this entrepreneurial itch that I had? So great. And so you you went headlong into the field, and then figured out the magic very quickly that that good marketing and advertising kind of solves a lot of problems. Did you intuitively know that or did you, did someone, did you take courses? Did someone train you? How did you figure that out? Well, it's funny because when I first finished my training um, and in cosmetics, I went to work for one of these companies that, you know, um, <clears throat> called Lifestyle Lift, which doesn't exist anymore. And Lifestyle Lift was this company that was on a hair club type Bosley model where they just did this mass marketing and, um, and then, you know, basically they had a mill of facelift surgeons. So <laughs> I was, I was, I did like a thousand facelifts and, and I got really good at it really fast. You know, I mean, you do anything like so many, so much, you get good at it. But one of the things that I started to realize was, you know, this is interesting because this guy who started this is a physician and um, he wasn't practicing anymore. And I saw this model that was just, you know, that was really a ripoff of another model, which was a hair model, which was also being used in a, you know, laser, uh, you know, vein model, et cetera. And I'm like, well, gosh, you know, why, why can't I, why can't I do something like this instead of just being the worker bee, um, which by the way, was paying really well. So they had the gold, I had the golden handcuffs on there. So when I started developing this, 
I felt like, you know what, I can do something like this, but why don't I, instead of doing facelifts, why don't I do liposuction? Because liposuction is the number one cosmetic procedure in the world. And, and, you know, and it seemed like everybody was doing it. The OBs were doing it. Family practice guys were doing it. And so well, why don't I do that? And so when they found out I was thinking about doing another practice, they want, they, they basically asked me to leave. They fired me. And so that accelerated me, uh, again, having very little expenses at the time uh, to just go head first in this. And I just, I, I mean, honestly, man, it's like every business I've started, I've started now four businesses and it's always been, I'm, I don't like reinventing the wheel. I'm not reinventing. All I'm doing is I'm taking a business model that exists already I maybe I throw in one different variable and I pivot and I execute. That's, that's all I've ever done. And it's worked really, really well for me. So great. That's probably the most simple and succinct understanding of what entrepreneurship can be that you don't have to create a whole new path that you can tweak what already exists because if it already exists, you know that somebody's already paying for the service. So the question is how do you create you, your unique spin and then the last part is the most important is the execute the executions phase of, of it all. So it's and just as an example of that, Eric, you know, I, I ended up doing this also with uh, a balloon sinuplasty too. And uh, I did that with the idea that, you know, there was uh, people who needed this, this procedure. I actually uh, had a friend who was telling me that it reimbursed pretty well and people were really happy. So I'm like, okay, you know, doctor, don't like to think that way, right? Because they think money's dirty and everything. But I'm like, okay, well, if it does, maybe I can just advertise the same way and treat a bunch of people with sinus problems. And it worked. And and the reason it worked, again, is all I did was change a variable. Now, I will say that everybody, all of the ENTs in the area hated me because there was a lot of jealousy and people don't like doctors advertising. And we live, our field as a general rule, unfortunately, we're, we are not nice to each other. Um, but, but that worked, that worked as well. And, and so sometimes again, it's not, you, you just take something that's working, you put a different variable in there and, and there's a good chance, you know, it works uh, because it's worked before, you know? Absolutely. Not, not reinventing the wheel. So you talked about four businesses. So walk us through them, walk us through kind of your, your initial entrepreneurial endeavors. What, what did those look like? And, um, yeah, what do those look like? Yeah, so um, you know, initially, you know, obviously there was cosmetics, and then there was sinus, um, and then there, and then um, we got into. Um, when I say we, it was you know an, an idea that my um, one of my operators had. We decided that there was an underserved market in in um, in behavioral therapy for for in home therapy for autism. Uh, again, we, we try to do these things with really, we do these things, we try to do them really well, you know, and then that model is different because it's not really an advertising model. It's really just like quality of care and, you know, there's low overhead. And if you do a good job, you get referrals. And we just had a model where we knew somebody else had done it and we knew we could, if they could do it well, we could do it too. So we just adopted that model. So that was another business. <clears throat> that is, you know, it's ramping up. It's not quite the, you know, electrifying, you know, business that, you know, some of the other high, um, you know, high, you know, the more popular things are. Um, and then, and then ultimately wealth formula and wealth formula started almost by accident. 
wealth formula is my podcast, but it's also my brand. And really it's a financial education and um, financial education type business. And, um, and out of wealth formula grew um, another business that I don't know if it's sort of separate, but it, it, it is, it's, what I what was happening was that um, you know I was talking about investing and and the way I was making money, et cetera, and I was investing in a lot of limited partnerships, and I got really good at it. And um, at one point, you know, I said, "Well, gosh, you know, if I'm good at this, maybe I I can leverage this and you know approach some of these operators that you know I might be investing with and say." Hey, you know, I mean, how about, you know, I, I joined forces with you and, you know, I have an equity group behind me and, uh, who I feel very strongly, uh, a fiduciary for and, and sort of a win-win situation because these operators were looking for other equity groups, um, to be involved with their projects. I thought they were very good operators. So the investors would, could make money. And for me, it was one more point of, of leverage. So, Ultimately, that is kind of what I do right now between the podcast and, um, and, and syndication. So, Got it. And we're going to go a little bit deeper into that in, in a second. So you talked about being a limited partner and getting good at being a limited partner. Um, talk about that. What did you learn being a limited partner um, in some of these larger projects? Because um, sometimes people worry that, oh, I'm, just, I'm really passive, so I, didn't, I'm, you know, I really want to be more hands-on. I really want something different. What did you take out of being a limited partner that made you a better investor? Well, first of all, I think there is this sort of, um, you hit on something I think it's important to, to address, which is, you know, a lot of people out there who are interested in, in real estate, et cetera, maybe they read Kiyosaki's books, et cetera, and they want to go out there and be a real estate entrepreneur. Um, I, I did do that initially. Um, I did have, uh, I did come from a real estate family too, so it helped a little bit. But what I found was that, you know what, doing that by myself, being the operator and owning things by myself, um, uh, it, it just, it, I wasn't necessarily getting better returns doing that uh, compared to being a limited partner with a professional operator who was, you know, driving a huge value add opportunity into, you know, a large asset. And so, the returns weren't all that different um, because basically they were doing more with these assets than I could being a guy who was running a few different businesses. And so for me, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well, why, why am I, you know, buying individual buildings myself anyway then? And the answer was there really was no reason for me to do that. Um, and so, so that's one thing because I think there is this, there's this sort of false narrative or false thing that we sometimes tell ourselves that if we, you know, buy things and do things on our own, we're going to make more money than is than compared to investing with other people. It's not necessarily the case because the operators generally are going to squeeze more out of it and whatever they take um, may end up, you know, you may end up making the same amount as if you operated a building well yourself and, and did a good job with it. You know what I mean? So, so that was one of the realizations for me being on the limited partner side. Now, but to your question about, you know, getting good at it, what I realized to, was that really it was about relationships more than anything else, right? And so I, 
when I started investing as a limited partner, I, I, I started, uh, I invested in a few things that it didn't go particularly well. And the reason that they didn't go particularly well is I didn't know the operators very well. And I just pretty much just looked at the, um, I just looked at pro formas and, you know, pro formas, well, gosh, I mean, you and I both know uh, you can make anything look good with a pro forma. <laughs> you and I know that well. I mean, we've both been in projects together that, that we know that well, right? So, um, so the challenge is trying to get more uh, deeply ingrained with the operator, creating the relationship, trying to understand the, um, you know, what the, uh, you know, what the group is, who the group is, what they've done in the past, what their track record is, walking their properties, et cetera, and really getting that kind of level of, of, of um, comfort with a group. So I always say now, you know, people say, well, what do you look at? What do you look at when somebody sends you a deal? And I say, oh, I don't look at the deal. I don't look at the deal unless it's from somebody I already know. So I want to get to the point where I know a group or an operator so well that I can actually look at those numbers and actually believe them, <laughs> you know? And, and so 90% of the game is really like, I invest in people. I invest in groups. I don't invest necessarily in deals per se. The deals can be, um, the deals will always look good. And the people behind them are what really drive, drive my decisions. And that's worked really well for me. Yeah, you and I have very, I mean, we've had long, long conversations. You and I have very similar uh, outlooks on this. I would say that for me, it's market, team, asset, and I could care less about the asset. Um, yep. You know, the team, can the team solve the problem that the market has is always what it boils down to. Um, and so it, it's good to hear that someone as successful as you believes in that same kind of philosophy. So let's walk now more deeply into the wealth formula, your inside track to wealth. So what is the show about? Who was it for, and why did you start it? I started, I started it a couple of years ago <clears throat> because I love talking about money. I love talking about personal finance, and, and <clears throat> none, of my, uh, none of my neighbors or friends seem to, to like talking about it. <laughs> so so I, I, uh, I was listening to podcasts. I became a guy who listened to a lot of podcasts, and what I found is as somebody who at the time was still practicing and was making, you know, multiple six figures or seven figures or whatever, that most of these shows were not speaking to me. They were not, they were not talking to somebody who was a busy guy who had a lot, you know, who had some money to invest and wanted to understand, you know, um, uh, my perspective. Most of the shows out there, you know, as you know, are about, escaping the cubicle or trying to figure out how to make, you know, make a few bucks for the first time, et cetera. That's just not what I was looking for. What I was really, so what I do is I would pick and choose individual podcast episodes that seem to resonate for me. And then one day just realized, you know what, I just do my own podcast because I think there's probably a lot of people like me, you know, doctors and, and attorneys and software engineers who are, who are making who are making, you know, multiple six figures and who are really trying to figure out how to apply all of this, uh, quote unquote, alternative information in their own life. And, um, and so that's why I started it. And, um, 
and the, and there was it was almost it it actually really just started primarily as a hobby. I mean, I never really intended it to become what it is, um, which has become a, you know a, a pretty high quality show with you know we had multiple New York Times bestsellers and Robert Kiyosaki and you know the chief economist of Fannie Mae on multiple times. So it's it's just to become a different animal altogether than what I thought, but it's been really fun for me, and I think. Um, it really, again, caters to that, you know, the smart, you know, high paid, highly educated individual. You know, we're not talking about escaping the rat race. And for me, even though I'm an entrepreneur, I don't really talk so much about entrepreneurship because the truth of the matter is, and Eric, you know, you know this as well as I do, the vast majority of people who are doctors, who are making a lot of money, you're better off not trying to become an entrepreneur. You're better off taking the money that you have and trying to be more creative about how you're investing that and getting yourself out of whatever it is that you don't want to do because you, you know, it's like, don't quit your day job. If you're already making two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, don't quit your day job because you're going to try to have to figure out how to get back to, to that point first and foremost. So, so anyway, we don't focus so much on entrepreneurship as much as like, you know, financial education for people who have money. Great. Well, I'm glad I was an early guest because I don't think I'd make the cut these days with the, with the high powered uh, people you've got on there. But actually, that's what I wanted to, uh, to, to go a little bit deeper in for you in terms of how the podcast started and where it currently is. That kind of metamorphosis and that morphing. How did that occur and what has that done for you in terms of kind of just personally? Well, I think that what part of the issue was that early on I was interviewing and certainly not the case with you, but you know, I was interviewing, you know, pretty much anybody who'd be on the show, <laughs> you know, and, and, and some of it was like uh, out of curiosity, right? Like, so I was interviewing people who were involved with raising capital for various things um, that maybe I wasn't interested in so much myself um, or, you know, I didn't do a lot of due diligence necessarily on those people themselves. I just was just trying to get information. Right. Um, and so I was, I was interviewing a lot of people who were on the, the, the podcast circuit, so to speak. And a lot of the people on the podcast circuit and, and they're not, there's nothing, not saying anything bad about them, but a lot of people have an agenda. And part of the agenda is, you know, they, they're, they're trying to sell something or whatever. And so, um, what happened was that I was starting to get, uh, as the show started to grow, I, I started to realize that when people were on the show, um, there was an assumption from my audience that it was a stamp of approval so to speak. In other words, you know, if somebody was raising money for a particular thing, even though I had no idea what that thing that was that they were raising money, that because they were on my show, people started assuming that I personally was investing with them or that I approved of that investment or I somehow advocated for it. So that made me very concerned. Um, and so what I stopped for the most part doing is, uh, I, I really sort of pivoted more into education and tried to be very careful about who I brought on. That's not to say that I don't have people on 
now who raise capital, but I, I just am a lot more careful with that than I, than I used to be. Now, you'll typically see more philosophical stuff. You know, you might see more economists and more authors and more, um, you know, people who are, um, you know, doing different things and doing interesting things that, that may not involve directly uh, investing in capital. We have stuff, we've, we've had several members of the, you know, like the Cato Institute because of my libertarian leanings, et cetera. So it's become a different type of, you know, thought-provoking show rather than, you know, something that ends up being, you know, a little bit too promotional, so to speak. Got it. Cool. So let's talk about, and, and oh, by the way, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Um, my, my assumption is I try to do at least a little bit of due diligence on on guests that come in or people that I know personally. Um, I will caveat if I need to, or if I've partnered with them, I'll say, hey, I've partnered with them in this way. This is what this looks like um, on the front end. So, uh, But I am the same exact way in terms of wanting to do due diligence on the people before they come on, even if I'm not going to do business with them. I just, right. I just have a responsibility because I'm not sure who's listening and what kind of kind of stamp we may be putting on them by having them on the airwaves. Because you know the internet, right? If you're if you're on TV or on the internet, it has to be true. Well, you know it's it's interesting because as you you probably know this, and without mentioning any specific names, we you know we we there was uh, there was an individual uh, who was doing a lot of turnkey in the space um, that you know. Um, a number of my investors actually had put money. I, I never had the guy on my show, but he was well known because of being a you know television personality, et cetera. But it ended up being a big mess, and and I don't know if it was uh, on purpose or not. But um, a lot of people lost a lot of money because of what ended up looking like a little bit of a Ponzi scheme. So we have to be careful, um, and sometimes you you know you do the best you can, and you're still you know you're still going to miss. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm not sure who you talk about. So offline, uh, I'll get that name from you to make sure that I don't circle around that way. Okay. Good. So let's talk about syndication and let's talk about kind of, kind of your, 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 your pivot off of um, wealth formula. Kind of talk about that. Talk about kind of what that looks like, why, um, and let's leave it for there. Now I'll let you, I'll let you give your commercial later. Yeah. So, um, you know, syndication for me uh, is just an extension of investing. So, um, you know, I have this, as we talk about wealth formula and I have this, you know, I, I borrow from Newtonian physics and momentum, right? And so mass times velocity, right? So, so um, what, I, what I say is uh, if you look at the math, it's, it's, you and I know it's actually quite simple. It's you grow your wealth. Um, if you say wealth is equal to the uh, product of, of how much money you actually invest, because if you don't invest, you're not going to make any money, um, which I call mass. And then and, um, time velocity, which is, you know, maybe you could call it your yield. The way I like to think about it is how quickly I get my money back from an investment. And then the last major um, variable in there is leverage. And uh, as you and I know, and how we differ from some of the other uh, folks, even in, in, in who are in the uh, medical uh, financial advice uh, business or medical, uh, you know, whatever, financial 
wisdom business, uh, uh, leverage is actually a very, very powerful thing. And to me, what I've, um, what I really truly believe is that it is virtually impossible to become uh, really wealthy without leverage. It, unless you're, you know, unless you're like a, a rock star, unless you're a professional athlete or something like that, if you're investing without leverage, it's extraordinarily difficult to to really create wealth. So, leverage obviously has many components to it. What is leverage in the first place? And typically, we're talking about other people's money, specifically in 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 terms of the bank, right? The beauty of real estate is that you can put twenty or thirty percent down and then get leveraged appreciation on the back end. I mean, I've I've seen that from apartment buildings I've sold making five six hundred percent in the course of three or four years. It's real numbers, you know. Um, but but from from the standpoint of what else leverage can be, leverage can be the people around you that are helping you make that happen. Um, it's, it's anything that gives you an edge. Now, in my case, as a syndicator, from, uh, uh, from an investor perspective, me being able to partner as an operator, partner with operators, what that gives me is usually, so I, I never go, if I partner with an operator, the operator has to give me equity. It never comes from the investor side, right? So the investor returns are never changed. But what it, in effect, what that does is that if I can partner with a group, bring equity to a group, uh, uh, to an operator, that provides me with an additional layer of leverage. So for me personally, that is 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 what makes it more powerful is that every one of my investments then become, you know, even more leveraged by the fact that the operator is giving me additional equity. So that, that in a nutshell is, you know, the, the, the business model behind syndication as I see it, it's leverage. Now, um, <clears throat> I will say too that just in general, as a, as a model, I don't, you know, I don't invest in traditional assets. I'm not a stocks, bonds, uh, and mutual funds guy. Um, and part of that is like, in reality, my own understanding where my own, um, my own, where my own roots come from. My dad is a, uh, my dad is an immigrant uh, who came to the U S in, in, in the late sixties and an engineering scholarship and, and started doing real estate. And, you know, by the eighties, he became a millionaire doing real estate. And, I would tell you that I never met, never, ever, ever met anybody who became a millionaire, like became wealthy because they happened to invest in mutual funds, right? But I have met plenty of people, plenty of people who have become millionaires and multimillionaires because of investing in real estate. And so that, that's why um, I choose primarily real estate as my vehicle of choice for syndication. So, got it. Perfect. Perfect background and kind of folding your story in. And so, lastly, um, let's talk about. So, it's, it's going to be primarily physicians and healthcare providers who listen to to our podcast. What message would you like to give them? What do they miss by listening to the mainstream financial press? What is it that? What message? What torch are you carrying out into the world? Kind of. This is just a free form, open what would you like to let the audience know as we head on out? 
Well, I think it goes, uh, you know, listen, here's, here's my big message, right? I'm lucky in that my dad, uh, you know, was my dad is a real estate guy and I've always grown up that way and I wasn't afraid of it. Uh, the only time he got involved with uh, stocks was during the dot-com era and then he got, he got his butt kicked and, and he never came back. But, um, so, so what I will tell you is this, is let's go back to the, the notion that nobody ever gets rich. You, maybe you are rich, maybe you made a bunch of money and then you invest in mutual funds or stocks or whatever, but no one ever gets rich because of that. No one ever gets wealthy because of that. It just doesn't happen, right? And, and what I would like to point out is that most of us Growing up, particularly those of us responsible students, you know, who are good students, we rely heavily after, uh, you know, achieving whatever we achieve on following um, the curriculum, following conventional wisdom after school. Conventional financial wisdom, of course, is to find a nice advisor and invest in a portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. But the problem is that we need to understand, and it's really hard for good students to understand this, that conventional wisdom can be wrong and that conventional wisdom can be uh, affected by special interests. Now, let me give you an example of that so that we can all relate to it as physicians. You remember, uh, Eric, you and I are about the same age. You remember when we were kids and you look up on the... uh, on the wall in there was the food pyramid. Yep. Right. And, and the food pyramid is what we all, we all thought was conventional nutritional information. It was given us to by the doctors, but you know, the story and a number of people in the audience, your audience know the story. But now that we know that, that there was um, uh, some special interest involved with the sugar industry that strongly influenced that food pyramid right? We know that that happened. We know that there was Harvard scientists that were paid from the sugar industry to de-emphasize the role of, 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 of sugar in cardiac disease. Why do I bring this up? I bring it up to point out, again, that special, intru- special interests have a strong influence on what we deem as conventional wisdom. Now, if that can happen with a food pyramid, what effect do you think that Wall Street can have on the conventional wisdom of of investing? And I I don't I don't like try to be. It's hard with doctors, you know, to be an evangelist because they're they're so hard they're so you know strong in their beliefs that it has to be a certain way and there's a right way and there's a wrong way and there's a conservative way. And stuff. But what I would argue is that what we consider conservative and conventional is the creation of a special interest, and that's Wall Street. And Wall Street is there to take your money, not to make your money, make you money. Well, all I can say is amen to that. Anyone who knows me knows I everything you just said, I believe. So yeah. that's great. So now I want you to promote yourself. How can people find you? You've got a, you've got a, a great conference coming up. I see the people. I know some of the people in your lineup. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this conference that you're putting on and where it is and how people can get involved. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I mean, obviously, the, the, the podcast itself is Wealth Formula. You can find it pretty much anywhere. We do it on uh, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, et cetera. 
um, you know, listen to it, check it out. It might be something that uh, resonates with you. Um, as far as the event goes, this is a great event uh, coming up on March 1st and 2nd in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, it's really geared towards people who are interested in, in, in investing in real estate um, with really good operators, but really don't want to get their hands dirty, right? So um, we have, as you know, uh, you know some of these people. Um, my guests are people I've gotten to know well over a period of time. Um, there's a rich dad, uh, real estate advisor, Ken McElroy, who I've invested with passively, uh, uh, several times. My own CPA, uh, Tom Wheelwright, who's uh, also Robert Kiyosaki's CPA. Um, Tom is going to talk about all the benefits of investing in, in real estate, uh, from a tax perspective. And as you know, there's some crazy benefits right now, particularly in the area of, of bonus depreciation and, you know, people who, uh, who can invest uh, in real estate who could literally write off the passive income they're getting from their surgery centers. Um, David, David Steele, who's uh, I've partnered with uh, and done a number of, of, of apartment deals with is going to be there. We also have a, a few guys talking about some other strategies of using retirement funds and some, um, you know, uh, some other uh, life insurance type strategies that really uh, are underutilized except for the ultra wealthy. So it should be a great event. And then we're going to go on a bus tour. We're going to actually look at properties uh, that we, um, you know, that, that have been transformed with value add and how you can actually force equity into these buildings um, but it's also going to be a really good meetup. There is going to be some extremely successful people there. One of the beautiful things about the Wealth Formula audience is I, I have a very, very broad, it's not just physicians, but there are a lot of physicians, but I have some extremely successful people. It's a great opportunity to network with people uh, of like mind, hang out. We're going to have a cocktail party that night. We're going to have a cocktail party the night before too. You you know, I like cocktails. So Eric, so hopefully Eric, if you can come, you should come. You should be a, be a guest of mine. I don't know if you can make it, but I would love to have you there too. Oh, let me, uh, I'll need to check with the wife. Uh, she's traveling and I'm traveling, but let me see if I can. I, I, it's something I definitely would look at. Let me, let me just check my schedule. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you're interested, uh, uh, in checking that out, uh, you can go to wealth formula meetups with an S wealthformulameetups.com and, and we've got a little, uh, little, you know, spiel on there. And, uh, again, Eric, if you're, if you want to come let me know and I'll just add you to the list. Okay, perfect. And what I'll do is, um, the show notes page for this episode will be the physiciansroad.com forward slash wealth formula. And we'll put a link to your registration on, on that page. So again, um, the physiciansroad.com forward slash wealth formula and that we'll have a link there for this and we'll have a link to your podcast there as well. Anything else you want to tell the audience? No, that's about it, man. It's been really fun talking to you and uh, hopefully you're, uh, uh, wish you all the best and, and your, your audience as well. Absolutely. Thanks. And so we want to thank Buck Joffrey from the Wealth Formula Podcast for being our guest today. Uh, we, were, we were on the path of personal development. So as you can see, we like to bring physicians on who are doing different things inside and outside of medicine um, as well, and kind of how they found that pathway to their own personal fulfillment. Please go to iTunes, 
or the podcast platform of your choice, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get it on an automatic download. Also, please go to thephysiciansroad.com where we have lots of resources and previous episodes to help you. Lastly, we also have a Facebook group. Just go to the Physicians Road uh, in Facebook on on groups. Just answer the questions and we'll add you in where we have more in-depth conversations around these and other topics. Thanks again, Buck. Thank you, man. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.